All right, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 8, and I'm going to bring you a message this morning, and please bear with me as I sort through my notes. I am a, a preacher that does use notes, and if you'd ever heard me preach without notes, you'd be glad I have notes. I'm going to preach on a subject this morning that might seem a little bit odd, but uh, if you'll think about it, it's something we should address, and that's the subject of suicide. And uh, I think most of us understand, we've heard the phrase, uh, our current culture in many ways is a culture of death. Uh, death gets glorified, uh, glamorized. I preached to you here recently about crossing the line. I, I really believe suicide is crossing a line that we just don't want to cross. It's, it's one you, you can't cross, and we'll talk about why. But among other things, maybe something said here this morning could help you to be a help to somebody else. And a lot of the subjects that, um, or that is, this subject touches a lot of other biblical themes. And so uh, I, I believe there's value in it from that standpoint as well. And, and I'm going to ask you to pray for me as we preach because I actually, as I told the men last night, I have enough material for three messages here. And um, I'm willing to preach a message on suicide. I don't want to do a series on suicide, okay? And so uh, just pray for me because, like I said, there's more here than uh, we have time for this morning. So, Father, help us now in these moments that we have. Thank you for these songs and the time to fellowship together and, and just enjoy worshiping you in so many different ways here this morning. And the Father, as the word goes forth from here, uh, I know that uh, I'm the biggest potential hindrance to you being able to, to work here in the hearts of people. So I pray, Lord, you help me to get out of the way and uh, man, uh, magnify your word in our hearts and uh, help us to understand what you'd help have us to understand here uh, this morning. And Father, if there's anybody contemplating this, uh, Lord, we pray especially for them, Lord, that you'd reach uh, down into their hearts and remove the hopelessness and the despair and replace it with what Jesus described when he said, I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. An ancient Greek philosopher once said, sometimes even to live is an act of courage. I have a little three-by-five card here that I got a couple years ago in the mail. Uh, it's about the walk, the walk to fight suicide, and it's called Out of Darkness. And so it, this thing is, has become an epidemic in our, in our country. Uh, one of the more famous people that recently took their lives was uh, Robin Williams. A lot was said about that. A little article here about a, a college football player that took his life. I have a little uh, part of a, a, a memorial service program here um, from a young man who is related to somebody here in the church that uh, recently took his life. And so uh, it's all around us. Now, what I'm about to uh, read to you here by an author was written in 2014. And I, and I want you to think of the whole COVID situation and, and the pandemic and the isolation that that's created. And uh, she talks about how... Um, People are volunteering less, and we entertain people at our homes less, and people are getting married less, and they're having fewer children. 
and people have fewer and fewer close friends and uh, we're denying our social nature and we're paying for it and some of it has to do with uh, the isolation that, that technology has actually uh, created and allowed us all to live in our little cubicles. And this was in 2014. Now imagine how much this whole COVID situation over the last two years with all this isolation and, and, and social distancing, I think they ought to call it anti-social distancing because that's what it is. Uh, imagine children, and, and we haven't really been able to quantify the results of this, but children for a couple of years now, you know, to you and I, they're a little bit older, two years as well. It's two years, but it's not forever. To a little kid, it's forever. And uh, everybody behind a mask. Everybody behind a mask. And of course, uh, suicide has uh, spiked during these times. And so it's prevalent. Uh, it's an epidemic. And it, it seems like every time I turn around, I, I hear of someone taking their lives. Uh, the adolescent rate has, has tripled. The rate of suicide has tripled among adolescents since 1960. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is reported that you have, uh, you have a better than two-to-one chance, or let me put it to you this way, twice as many people will take their own lives in the United States this year than will be murdered by someone else. More people kill themselves between Thanksgiving and Christmas than any other time of the year. That's uh, an understandable thing. Some are encouraging suicide. Uh, on the internet, there are sites, and they do try to censor these, and I would say this is where I would agree with censorship. But there are sites that encourage suicide and give you instructions on suicide and explain what are the more uh, successful ways to do it. And even some of the music, especially in the hard rock uh, genre, Ozzy Osbourne sung a song called Suicide Solution. Uh, a young man was found dead in his bedroom with, with that plane. And so it's just gotten worse and worse. On January 13th of 97, a morning news program reported the findings of a survey taken among ninth graders. 43% of these ninth graders surveyed said they knew someone personally who had committed suicide. You even have the movement for assisted suicide and the infamous Dr. Kevorkian. And today the reason is medical, tomorrow it's emotional, and after that it becomes any reason including financial. We live in a culture of death. A young man in North Carolina whose name is James, we won't give the last name, but broke up with his girlfriend, or his girlfriend broke up with him. He was suicidal. He paid a friend $50 to kill him. Ruined his life. The friend ended up in prison. And think of all the families, all the people involved who were touched, who were hurt. The Yangtze River Bridge is a national landmark in China. It's always crowded with traffic. But it's the number one place in China for people to commit suicide. In 2003, in 2003, 
a man named Chen in his mid-30s became a self-appointed guardian angel. He would come to the bridge every weekend to try and stop people from jumping. He counts 42 people whom he has stopped from committing suicide, taking some down and wrestling with others. He's also had five people slip from his grasp to their deaths. Asked how he can potentially identify jumpers from the sea of people, Chen answers, quote, it is very easy to recognize a people, a person who walks without any spirit. He actually picks them out of the crowd and recognizes them. There are six things that cause people to seek death, and actually we find some of them right here in the Word of God. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 8. And Israel has gone into captivity for their sin. And the Bible says, At that time, saith the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of his princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, whom they have loved and whom they have served, and after whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor be buried. They shall be for dung upon the face of the earth. And watch verse 3. And death shall be chosen rather than life by the residue of them that remain. Death shall be chosen rather than life. What are some of the reasons people choose death rather than life? Pain and torment can be one. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 9 that there will be a time when men will seek death and they won't find it. I knew a man who had a friend who actually committed suicide over his allergies. He was so tormented that he chose to take his own life. In the book Driven to the Edge, the author says, many times we can see no reason for prolonging the agony. But you want to know something? We're not the Lord. We're not the Lord. And the author goes on to say this. Let the Lord determine the time, the place, and the method. No doctor, psychiatrist, friend, or family member has the right to play God. How about escape from an unthinkable fate? The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. He would have killed himself and said, Paul said, do thyself no harm. And what happened to him? He got saved. He got saved. Pain and torment, emotional sometimes, physical other times. There are people that live with constant physical pain. And human reason could rationalize that it would be justified for somebody to take their lives. But God is in control, folks. And we put one foot in front of the other and we take it one day at a time. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Saul in defeat to the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 31, escaping an un Thinkable fate. I often wonder about Robin Williams. I, I know there were 
drugs and alcohol involved there somewhere, but he had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Sorrow of heart is another one. Take your Bibles and go to Job chapter 1. Sorrow of heart. Job chapter 1, and, and I, want, I want to call your attention to verse 5, because Job's care for his family made his grief all that much more difficult when they lost all those children. The Bible says, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job was focused on those kids. And they were taken away from him in a moment. Job's foolish friends trying to figure out why all this happened, tried to give him the reason when, when God hadn't even told him the reason. And concluded that he was a bad guy when the reality was all this happened to him because he was one of the good guys. Look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 6. I, I think sometimes we get ourselves in trouble on either side of this equation when we try to figure out life. Philosophers try to figure out life. Do you ever notice it's, they're some of the zaniest people that there are? I think sometimes we need to just live life instead of trying to figure it out. Why did this happen? Or how would it be if I would have done this instead of that? Job chapter 6 and verse 1. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. Look at verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. His wife could offer him no comfort. She was in need of comfort too. She too was staring at all those empty rooms and chairs around the dinner table. But what made it worse for Job is in verse 4, if you look at chapter 6, was the sense that God had turned against him, even though he hadn't. Job didn't have the benefit of hindsight that we have today. Job was blessed later on. Do you think it was a good idea for Job to go on living? Sure it was. We see how the story ends. But at that time, he didn't see it. Maybe I'm talking to somebody in this room this morning or, or looking in online. And you just don't know how you can take the next step because any way you look at it, any, any scenario you can imagine seems to be unthinkable. So it was for Job at that hour. But as we get to the end of the book of Job, we see how God blessed Job multiple times over. It was good that Job went on. It's good that, Job, uh, that God didn't answer Job's request to take his life. Amen? Verse 4, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison thereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves 
in array against me. That's how it looked at that time. And by the way, a little footnote to all this. We need to be careful about judging those that are going through grief. Amen? How about, how about pressure? Pressure. Moses, in Numbers chapter 11, when should I have flesh to give all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Day in and day out, the complaints of the people, with no relief in sight. When Moses could finally stand it no longer, he came to the Lord with one request. Kill me. You know what we need to do when we come to that point in life? We need to remember what the Lord said in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, make sure you're wearing the right yoke. Make sure you're wearing the right yoke. How about failed expectations? Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, people wonder what happened to Elijah. I'll tell you what happened to Elijah. Three three and a half years (coughs) prophesying, sacrifice, living at the brook Cherith, and then with the widow of Zarephath, 450 prophets of Baal, slain in dramatic fashion with obvious miracles. Three and a half years of drought followed by miraculous rain. You know what Elijah was thinking? Ahab and Jezebel have got to get it now. They've got to repent. There's going to be revival. And just the opposite took place. Nothing has changed. Failed expectations, a sudden loss of a loved one, a reversal of financial fortune, uh, for, uh, fortunes, health crisis, entrance of a chronic or life-threatening illness. Many of you know the stories of the stock market crash in 29. Men jumping off of upper stories of buildings in downtown New York. I think of Jonah, who was the flip side of the same coin. He was bittered over God's perceived lack of judgment on the wicked, the Ninevites. Dost thou well to be angry, the Lord said to him? In Job chapter 4, it is better for me to die than to live. It's easy to cry out sometimes that God is unfair, forgetting his mercy to us. Forgetting that we were nothing more than hell-bound sinners. And in his mercy, he saved us and made us accepted in the beloved. And his mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. But sometimes circumstances cloud our vision and understanding of these things. 
How about guilt? Judas. In Matthew chapter 27, I don't need to say much more about that one. Some have committed suicide rather than go to jail or prison. I thank the Lord this morning for 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. Your sin this morning is not an exception to that verse. It cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 9 for the believer says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And your unrighteousness is not an exception to that verse. Although the devil would tell you otherwise. There's a dark secret of the high rate of suicide with returning Mormon missionaries. Many of whom get away from home for a couple of years. And party. And then they come back to their community, to their culture, to their families, to their churches. And there's no biblical grace to cover those sins. And it is a statistical fact that they have a high rate of suicide coming back from their mission. Can I say something this morning? And I realize this is going to be anything but a homiletical masterpiece. I'm trying to cram three mess. Three messages worth of material into one. But if you don't remember anything else, please remember this. Please remember this. God, God will never tell you to kill yourself. You say, well, why, preacher, is that such? Why are you so emphatic about that? Because that's the devil's big lie. I'm just going to get ahead of myself a little bit here. And I don't want you to misunderstand, but I'm just going to let my hair down a little bit, what hair I have. I've never sat there staring at a cock 357 and, or with my hand on it or contemplating it that seriously. But I'm going to tell you something. In one span during an illness where I was sick for several years, and this is something people don't understand, I heard a, a, a preacher friend of mine just recently told me he believed that suicide is one of the most selfish acts there is. And, and I agree with that. Okay? But people don't always kill themselves out of pure selfishness. But it is selfish. Because you hand all the survivors all your baggage. And there's nothing they can do with it. I mean, they have to deal with it, uh, uh, rather. And so it is selfish from that standpoint. I, I agree with that. But you know what the devil will tell you sometimes? Everybody would be better off without you. And you say, oh, come on, it's just the opposite. When, when people kill themselves, it's devastating to the Yes, I know that, but it's, that's the lie. And if you've ever experienced a lot of chronic illness or a lot of chronic pain and back and forth to the doctors and back and forth to the hospital and your whole family having to rearrange their lives and the frustration of not being able to do the things that you want to do, you can come to that conclusion. And it seems so profoundly stupid, but it becomes profoundly true to somebody going through something like that. 
And so I say to you this morning, please, if you don't get anything else, remember something. God will not tell you to kill yourself. Demon spirits will. Discouragement and hopelessness will. But not God. God will never do that. God loves you. God's crazy about you. And you will find a better day. Hang in there. Put one foot in front of the other. Get, if, you can't, if you can't take it day by day, get through it hour by hour. And then day by day. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> Paul got a look at heaven. And he wanted to commit Christian suicide from then on. <laughs> If I can coin that phrase. They said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They'll stone you to death. He called his travel agent and said, give me a ticket to Jerusalem. <laughs> but he said, but he said, he said, uh, I'm a straight betwixt two, but he had a purpose. There were others. And he said, it's more needful for me to stay because of you. You know what, this morning, somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. And by the way, if you want to get suicide out of your head, get it out of your mouth. It's a fact. It's a fact. If you want to get suicide out of your head, get it out of your mouth. You can overcome suicidal thoughts. You are not destined to end your life. Suicide is a choice, and it's the wrong and sinful choice. We see examples in the Bible of those that didn't want to live anymore. We see examples in the Bible of those that did take their life. Some ended their lives, and others go on to do great things. Helplessness, hopelessness, discouragement, Bible says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. When I think of that verse, I think of the importance of the practice of thankfulness. What are you going through? What are you going through this morning? And have you taken inventory and said, Lord, where are the bright spots in all of this? Where are the bright spots? Well, you're vertical and you're taking nourishment. Are you saved? Do you have the word of God? Do you have one person that cares about you? I'll bet you do. I'll bet you have more than that. And if you take your life, you will devastate them. They love you. I think of weariness of life. Job said, my soul is weary of my life. Elijah said, it is enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life. An elderly lady dying of cancer told me one time, she said, I'm just tired of being sick all the time. They say that there's an uptick in suicide rate among Japan's elderly as Japan shifts from 
what has traditionally been a culture of honoring the gray head to becoming more westernized and bowing at the idol in the shrine of youth. The elderly are finding less reason to live. Well, I'll give you a reason to live here this morning, Christian. The Bible says, I came that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Then there are those that go to the dark side, drinking, drugs, the wrong kind of music can drive you into that rabbit hole. The Bible says abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so there is hope. Because there were those in the Bible that, that wanted to do it that didn't. And there are those that did it. I was talking to the men about Jude, or, uh, Samson last night. And Samson didn't, didn't completely fulfill God's will for his life by any means. But even though he ended up grinding corn for the Philistines, his eyes poked out. He, he came to a place of repentance. He came to a place of revival in his heart. And even though he didn't do what he could have done, he still did much. He slew more Philistines in his death, the Bible says, than in his life. You say, do you believe Samson went to heaven? He showed up in Hebrews 11. He showed up in Hebrews 11. Saul fell on his sword. What did Saul do? Saul took control. I don't find him in Hebrews 11. Judas hung himself out of guilt. He took control. But Elijah ultimately gave God control. Moses ultimately gave God control. Job ultimately gave God control. And what we need to do in the end is give God control. For when we take our own lives, we're taking matters into our own hands. And we need to give God control. He knows what he's doing. Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But you're in the moment. You're in the moment. You don't see the whole picture. How could Job see how God would bless him later when he said it would be better for me to be dead or that God would grant my request and take my life? But, but God saw what was going to happen. God knew what he would do for Job. And God knew that all of this would make Job better and not bitter. Job said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Job 42. Uh, Job trusted the Lord to be able to do everything necessary for his life. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. See him through the maze of your circumstances, the light of the world, 
the light of the world. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. He's the light. He's the life. And God wants to use you this morning as a testimony of faithfulness to him and trust in his promises, even in extreme difficulty, to be a blessing to him for his glory and honor, to the lost as proof of his grace, and to the saved as proof of his promises to sustain. Because we all know there's three, three kinds of people in the room here this morning. Some that are in a trial, some that have come out of a trial, and some that are going into a trial. And I say here this morning to the elderly that we might be a, an example to the young as proof of a life well spent as they contemplate how to spend their lives. Let him have control. Let him decide where and when and how we will pass out of this life into the next. And how can God use our difficulties? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In the book, Why Suicide?, the author goes on to say, and takes a whole chapter on the subject, Get your eyes on the needy. Dr. Jack Hiles, many years ago, had a lady that came to him several times about wanting to take her life, and she had had a bunch of things happen in her life to drive her to that precipice. And finally, Dr. Hiles says, here's what I want you to do. And he gave her a list of three or four other people that were really going through a lot. And he encouraged her to go. Uh, bake a cake or bake or, or make some bread or something and bring it to them and go have a discussion with them and then he said and then I want you to come back and talk to me and she did this and she came back and he says well what do you think and she says I've got purpose again step out and go help somebody that's going through something worse than you're going through if your life is in pieces God can take something and make it beautiful out of those pieces my wife is a quilter and we sometimes get ribbing each other about our hobbies. She says, you stand there in $1,200 worth of equipment and the people shoot hard pucks at you. And you don't try to get out of the way. You try to get in the way. And I said, oh yeah? Well, I said, you take perfectly good fabric and cut it up in little, little pieces. And then you sew them all back together. And sometimes that's what our lives look like. Just, and you know, sometimes we come to the conclusion, I'm the one that cut it up in little pieces. I, help, I hate self-inflicted wounds, but I'm, but I'm a pro at them. But you know what you gotta do this morning? You gotta give God time. You gotta give God time. You know, as Christians, the, the greater purpose is revealed through suffering over pleasure. You know, a person, the worth of a person's life isn't measured in their pleasure. It's measured in their purpose. The Lord needs you this morning.
Your family needs you. The body of Christ needs you. Your pastor needs you. And by the way, the lost, they need you to go on for God. As believers, if we take our own lives, I don't believe we lose our salvation because I don't believe salvation is a matter of works. But we wreck our testimony. We forfeit our stewardship. We leave a trail of broken hearts and woe. And I believe we lose our rewards. Someone once said suicide is a singular act with a plural effect. The person who commits suicide puts his psychological skeleton in the survival's emotional closet. He sentences the survivor to deal with many negative feelings, to become obsessed with the thoughts regarding his own actual or possible role in having precipitated the suicidal act or having failed to abort it. It can be a heavy load. Article here out of a magazine, and the title of it is Left to Grieve. After a suicide, loved ones left behind with waves of shame and guilt, but life can become good again. This was written in October of 18. Here's a pastor looking at a photograph of his wife who took her life. She fought with depression for years and years. Photograph of a sister holding a picture of her brother who took his life. And then Kay and Rick Warren talking to others a year after their son took his own life. I think of the Indianapolis Colts coach, Tony Dungy, whose 18-year-old son took his life. These are people more prominent and well-known, but there's all kinds of average people like us that are living with that. No, others would not be better off without you. Yes, you're going through a hard time. But we have a great God. And Job couldn't see it, but, but God was going to use Job in some wonderful ways. God was going to bless Job in some wonderful ways. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't want to forfeit a thousand and seven years of reward. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The Bible says that someday God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Revelation chapter 21. The Bible says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Hang in there. Hang in there. That day is coming. That day is coming. Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God has provided all things for this life and the gift of eternal life for the next. The only thing returnable to him is our rewards, and I don't want to forfeit those this morning.
I think of the four and 20 elders casting their crowns at the feet of the Lord in Revelation chapter four. Let God choose your life, let God choose your death. Let God be God this morning. Let God be God in your life. I'll read this one last story because I think a lot of times life is kind of like this. A guy says, I once ran the New York City Marathon. The first half of that race is a party. You're you're swept along by 28,000 runners. Crowds lining the street. People running in costumes. You're touring the ethnic neighborhoods of Brooklyn and Queens. You feel like you could run forever. At mile 13, you cross over into Manhattan and start heading north, away from the finish line. Central Park is behind you and you're going in the wrong direction. The crowds are thinner now, and the party's over. At about mile 16 or 18, you hit the wall. You're absolutely miserable. Physically and psychologically, you're busted. All you want to do is stop running. I remember passing one of the first aid stations. There were runners lying on cots, pale and gaunt, IVs dripping into their arms. I thought to myself, Those lucky dogs. (laughs) At that point, I began to despair. I imagined myself having to go home and tell everybody I didn't finish. Why did I ever sign up for this race? What made me think I could do this? You ever ask that question? That's when it hit me. One way or another, I had to get to Central Park. That's where my ride was. I didn't have a car. I had no money. I would have to get there on my own two feet. So I might as well keep running. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't think about the next six miles. Just think about the next step. And if you can keep that up, keep putting one foot in front of the other, The miles pass. And when you cross that finish line, it feels like glory, even when you're in 10,044th place. (laughs) He goes on to say, some of you may be hitting the wall right now, feeling like you can't go on, like you'll never make it. Following Christ is harder than you ever imagined it would be, and you're thinking about giving up, about doing something foolish. Don't do it. There's no magic to enduring the race. It's all about continuing. Keep on for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, this isn't a subject I wanted to tackle. It's not even something we like to talk about or even think about. But it's going on all around us. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. And Father, we pray that especially as these subjects that that touch this subject are brought to our hearts and minds this morning, we'll be mindful of these things so that we might be a blessing to others. And if the time comes when life doesn't even seem like it's worth living anymore, we'll remember, Lord, that you're in control 
and you're planning on blessing us and you love us. In fact, as someone once said, you're crazy about us. We thank you for that. Help that one this morning that might be listening that started to believe the lie that everybody else would be better off without them. Help them to realize that's a lie and see through it and see it for what it is. Help them to realize, Lord, they'd be, they'd be devastating those that are closest to them. And a lot of the scars would be permanent. Help us to look to Jesus Christ, the life and the light of our lives. And no matter what we have to go through, to realize, Lord, you'll be there with us and you'll get us through and there's gonna be a better day especially when we get home to be with you. No more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more sin. It's almost hard to imagine, Lord, but you said it. You said it in your word, and we know it's true. Help us to go out from this place today and be an encouragement to someone else. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 157, let's stand and sing. Number 157. Sad heart 
it aught to him does he Brother Dave Hahn, would you please come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message that we heard this morning. Uh, it's encouraging. There's hope. There's always hope in Jesus. No matter what we're going through, no, how, no matter how long the race, the speed bumps, the difficulties, sometimes falling off the racetrack, getting back on, all those things. You're with us, and there's always hope. And those arms are outstretched on the other side of that finish line, waiting us for us to cross, to be embraced in you. And Lord, what a cloud of witnesses, with you the most important one. And Lord, so help us to run the race with joy, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for this message. Help us to reflect on it, Lord, now, and just look to you this week in Jesus' name. Amen.